Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, we welcome Portfolio Manager Joe Overdevest to the program as he discusses commodities, unemployment, the new Inflation Reduction Act, and much more. Joe talks about commodities and says there is a positive outlook for both natural gas and copper. For natural gas, there is a surplus of supply because of the mild winter, but overall a positive outlook for 2024. And for copper, there are positive sentiments there, but will be driven by a bullish perspective and dependent on conversations with major CEOs within the industry. Joe touches on many other topics and trends like the continuing conversation around interest rates, concerns with mortgages in Canada, and the importance of investing and compounding during these times. Joe says investors need to be careful and resist being swayed by current headlines and avoid abandoning long-term strategies due to short-term uncertainties. This podcast was recorded on January 24, 2024. Let's begin a little bit with this interest rate decision. I mean, 5% is high. I mean, that yes. is clearly fighting inflation. It was yes. expected. The market reaction sort of muted. Mm-hmm. What, what do we think? Just, it was well telegraphed and so we knew? Yeah, I think the Bank of Canada has done a very good job telegraphing at least their intentions, which is very important from a central bank perspective, probably more so, you know, these last few years and the last, you know, say 20 years, yeah. just because there been so much change and people, you know, are very much anticipating future decisions on this. But I think what's more important is, is like you said, is what they said. They said we're more likely to be cutting than raising going forward, which I think is very important for the Canadian consumer and obviously many Canadian companies. And mortgages. Yes. I mean, there's no way going around that. Like, we're concerned. People are watching very carefully on this front. I mean, what do you think on this? You've spoken to banks, yes. CEOs. We'll go into maybe more of this later on for sort of the investment perspective. But just from sort of top-down economy story, the personal indebtedness of Canadians watching rates this high, yes. it's rough. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest difference between us and the U.S. U.S., yeah. obviously, you know, 30-year mortgages here and five-year mortgages. And when you look at the amount of renewals, especially a year from now and two years from now, some big renewals and it's tough on people, right? And so I think though, when you look back the last three months, a lot has changed. The rate market already is starting to come down, which is actually a big alleviation. Probably probably one of the biggest concerns for the Canadian markets was that consumer, in particular the mortgage owner. Again, a third of Canadians um, own a house outright with no mortgage, a third rent and a third have a mortgage. One of the biggest things, too, to understand, it was actually recently in a bank um, CEO conference, one of the bank CEOs mentioned, well, the last few years, you know, income has also been up 20%. So, yes, the average person who has a mortgage is going to see maybe 20% higher payments at renewable, but their income has also come up probably since they first signed that mortgage. So... Macro, 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 that's how we've begun. And it's important because it's, it's been what's driving markets for, yeah. for a long, long time. That said, some of the macro headlines, I mean, do they help us get money into the market? Do they help us to invest? Um, what, what do you see in terms of, I guess the flows is sort of part of the story, but just, yeah. I guess, a sentiment check. Yeah, I would say, um, especially in the Canadian markets, is that savings, like personal savings, a lot is brought up, like, you know, COVID, you know, ruined the shutdown. A lot of people had savings as it been drawn down. Probably for Canada and U.S., most of it's been drawn down. It doesn't mean, you know, the, the Canadian economy is, you know, teetering because of that, but just it's more of a normal state, okay? okay. But within investing, which I think you made a very good point, sentiment definitely, I would say, is, is doesn't feel bullish, especially with the Canadian markets. When you look at, you know, in terms of how much people have versus you know, equities or bonds or more importantly, cash, 
the cash levels are probably on the higher end. Even if it's sitting in investments that are that are sort of cash-like. So, I yes. mean, what does it take then when, I don't know, there looks like there's blood in the streets. Literally, I mean, the geopolitical picture is extremely upsetting. These headlines come in all the time. Do you invest at this point? Well, I think this is one of the interesting things. I think to the audience, you know, a punchline for me is always remind, especially investors, don't let today's headlines take you out of tomorrow's gains, right? And so, because it's very easy to see these headlines and go, you know what, I'm going to wait, I'm going to, I'm going to wait. And we can talk about this, I'm sure, many times before, but one of the biggest things is the power of compounding. And you can wait. And when you actually look at, you know, the timing of when you go in, it's more importantly how long you're in as opposed to exactly your actual entrance point. Right. Interesting. You've read a book. You sent me a podcast on a book. I, yes. want, I want to talk about this a little bit because it hits on exactly this yes. point. What's it called? It's Well, the first book was Psychology of Money. And hopefully this audience has, has read the book. If not, it's a great one to hand the clients. Psychology yeah. of Money. Or you can just listen to the podcast. <laughs> or you can listen to the podcast. <laughs> and uh, the author recently did a podcast. And uh, the follow-up book is same as ever. And some of the interesting takeaways you and I were discussing, obviously, is I like one of the lines, is savings is the difference between your ego and your income, right? Okay, say that one again. Savings yeah. is a difference between your ego and your income. Essentially, is totally. what car did you buy and what car could you afford, right? <laughs> I think, right? If, you, if, you, if it's a cheaper car than you can actually afford, that's probably your savings, right? right. And the, the biggest one we tie into you just said is, save like a pessimist, invest like an optimist. And I think this is very important. Again, if you even ignore what I just said or ignore what the author said, look at the Forbes top list of rich people in the world. They're generally optimists and they're longer term optimists. And generally they've owned equity in some perspective, either their own business or the equity markets. But, you know, savings like an pessimist means, yes, we're going to have negative headlines. Keep a large amount of cash in the next year, two years, what you need for your family. That makes sense. So you're never in a tough situation. Mm -hmm. When it comes to your investing part of it, Make sure this part doesn't influence the investing part. Invest like an optimist, save like a pessimist. And do you think that's what Canadian households are doing right now? I mean, do, what, what's, what sort of your, this is the sentiment question, like, yes. is it happening? It doesn't feel like it. I would no. say sentiment doesn't feel frothy. We've been in right. markets for a while. I can tell you this does not feel like a frothy market, right. um, especially for the Canadian okay. stock market. It does not. So it's an interesting time to go in. I mean, there's sort of... Um, well, okay, we won't time it, but I mean, <laughs> but at the same time, we, we sort of need that little boost of getting people into the market and and beginning. Yeah. Um, what about those that have taken money out? I mean, this is this is sort of a re-entry for yes. many. Yeah. Look, I think it, everything is is a matter of where you feel comfortable, right? And again, yeah. that's the point. Is like if you're feeling like unsure of headlines, and then you may have actually put too much in the market, right? You should feel you should feel like you can read a headline and not feel like, oh my goodness, I have to change my investment profile, for instance, kind of thing. Right. But you have to understand that, again, the biggest thing is not exactly usually what day you went in, what month you went in, but how long are you in? Are you in for five, 10, or 20 years? Because the power of compounding is very, very powerful. Um, let's go through some of the sort of Canadian stories within the Canadian markets itself. We'll, we'll go to the banks, because it speaks to sort of mortgages and ultimately the consumer as well, um, and then spread out across some of the others. but. What have we got here that we're looking at? Some will say, we've heard from GAA, that the Canadian dollar you know, is a bit of a valve for the economy and the economic situation that's going on right now. We do have high interest rates, though, mm-hmm. which might hold them up a little bit. Yeah. What's, what's the state of Canadian investing for Canadians in Canada? 
Yeah, well, you, you brought up, you know, Canada in general, and we can talk about the banks even more in detail. Look, the Canadian economy in terms of the, maybe the currency, because that's a big driver, sure. is uh, looks decent. I mean, in terms yeah. of like, it's probably okay going forward. Interest rates luckily look like they're probably more likely to come down. And one of the things I would say is probably expectations for interest rates potentially go quicker down in Canada versus the U.S. Again, I think a lot of people debate the timing of it. I think the more important thing is that the trajectory is probably more likely lower than higher. And I think that's more important than will they cut you know, six months from now, three months, or nine months from now. Right. But look, the actual economy itself up in Canada is still a little tougher than the U.S. And that biggest thing is mortgages renewing. And that does take away, because someone makes a decision. I'm sure. not going to buy something discretionary because my mortgage payment's going up. So I think you're seeing more anemic economic growth. But that doesn't mean the stock market can't go up or even go down. Like, and again, that's the toughest thing I think a lot of people do is they see headlines of economy that's weak and they automatically say, well, the stock market will be weak or vice versa. Right. And often it's not. And that's not not right. I mean, that's often exactly opposite. It's expectations. The expectations for earnings growth in the U.S. is 10%. Here in Canada, only 6%. Would you call the year ahead somewhat of a pain trade from an equity perspective? I would say pain trade is an interesting one. You're right. I think it's tying into a, pain as a relative term. It we'll is. see. Yeah, but that's right. If, if the market goes up, I would say, I think most people would find that a pain trade because, again, sentiment's so low. And yeah. usually that's what it means is, is because actually it's a pain trade of relative returns on missing out. And I think psychologically, too, is we've seen this in past cycles. Humans are still humans. We're not Excel models that say when mm-hmm. to time things is they're still worried about, you know, there's there a COVID for a lot of people still remember, and many people still remember GFC, right? And so it's amazing, you have to, when you ask what, what helps, time. Time heals wounds, and yeah. the longer we get out from these events, people go, well, maybe I should feel a little more comfortable. And sadly, markets usually going up also pulls people in. So time and gains usually heal wounds. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Um, within the economy and, and maybe going to the, the healing of wounds, I mean, there are a lot of things that are okay. Take us through sort of the jobs picture. I mean, yeah. there are there's some normalization and actually possibly just price growth across the economy that looks quite good. Yeah, I think what's interesting too, you, you made a point of like jobs and where some of the more important factors last year and even more recently, if you looked at soft data, so what we call soft data is like um, consumer surveys, CEO surveys, CEO optimism, it looked like we were in a recession, even in the US and in Canada. And, but when you looked at the hard data, jobs, like do people have a job? They're very good, right? right. You know, and so, and luckily, yes, unemployment's moved up a little bit in Canada, but still people generally have their jobs and actually wage growth is still pretty decent. It's one of the things the Bank of Canada said this morning. That's one of the it reasons is. why we have inflation this high is we're still wage growth. It's pretty decent. A lot of unions in particular, a number of contracts signed with some big gains. So we're past that to an ex- in terms of pricing it in. Yeah, so exactly. So let's walk through that. So inflation, some of the, some of the big buckets for inflation is, you know, probably commodities. That, doesn't, that looks definitely not a big issue year mm-hmm. over year. Number two is probably like um, wages. Well, wages will go a little higher, but it's like, again, where the benefit of time and lapping is good. The last one is, is housing is probably a little stickier, but again, that should alleviate over time as mortgage costs come down as well. And you might bring up supply chains. Supply chains for Canada. Well, we read headlines around sort of, you know, the Red Sea. It it, it brings you back to the COVID, uh uh-oh, 
Supply yeah. chains is a story again. Supply chains look a lot better. It's not, when we talk to okay. CEOs, it's not an issue in terms of like, oh, it's a complaint or something like that. The old days, it was like, we're using ships in the water. Now we're using ships in the air because like, right. we just can't get it. We're not near there. If anything, the Red Sea on a small margin, if it becomes an issue, the Canadian National Railway just reported earnings last night. Yeah. And they're seeing potentially customers talk to them saying like, well, if I can't bring goods to this part of the world, can I maybe bring it to another port? And Canada on the margin may be able to win business. Wow. See, that's so interesting. Now we need your, your perspective on that. That's really, really interesting. So we've gone through some of the, the headlines, some of the stats, some of the, the things that, that might be concerning about this um, economy, certainly. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about the outlook for commodities broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the other piece of the Canadian economy, and then we'll get into tech as well. Um, do you see optimism across sort of the commodities, metals, and mining space, or is this a time to just sort of are things going to lay fallow for a bit? Yeah, so we'll do the big buckets. So we'll go with oil and natural gas yeah. first. So oil, natural gas. Um, oil looks okay, but not great. And the reason why is OPEC's cutting. You and I have been doing these yep. talks for a long period of time. Know that OPEC, everyone they cut, everyone gets excited that day. It's actually not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Because <laughs> it means the biggest producer sees weakening demand and now has a huge amount of supply ready to go on the market. So Spare capacity. Spare capacity. So you yeah. probably won't see a price spike. Now, okay. sadly, I will say, though, when you have... Um, you know, Unrest. geopolitics like we're having right now, the wrong decision by someone can have a huge ramification. We've seen that in past history. So that's the one thing you got to watch that of all the commodities, there's a reason why it has a geopolitical premium always embedded in it and then it goes higher or lower. Natural gas, we just had a mild winter. Yeah. It's a very simple commodity in terms of supply and demand. It's landlocked. And for the most part, other than LNG, which actually will come on in big part, probably in Canada and the US, especially 12 months from now, but in the meantime, we just have a lot of supply. We had a very warm winter. Um, copper. LNG will come online, meaning we're exporting it? Is that we're, what you mean? We're going to have some exporting, potentially. Yeah, every, everything looks good. Terminal, <laughs> these, yeah. these big projects. Just careful, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to put to a timing, but yeah, they look like they're going to come on, in, especially in 12 months for Canada, an outlet for some of our natural gas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's coming from our CEOs. We've had almost a lot of the major CEOs globally and Canada-wide the last... Uh, few weeks at a lot of conferences and this morning we probably had the, the second biggest copper company in Canada and this afternoon will be the biggest copper company in Canada we're meeting with so okay well <laughs> share the information then so, whatever you can but on copper I would say is that uh, it's bullish and when we look at just supply demand we don't know where we get the supply and this is coming from people like them this is coming from us is that you know it's in it's in generally jurisdictions that are not very um, friendly to outside mining companies. And I think again geopolitics would say we're seeing probably especially in certain countries as a, more of a left left leaning kind of governments, especially for the people, and those people don't want mining in their jurisdictions. Not my from backyard. international companies. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. so you know when you look at these areas, we're seeing obviously some mines were shut down. Yeah. Uh, Panama is a perfect example. Usually you see sometimes royalties go up, but it's very rare a mine gets actually shut down. And so when you actually look at supply demand, if you want to electrify this grid, look, there's going to be puts and takes. We can probably talk about the IRA, but it's a general trend is electrifying. We're going to need a lot more copper than we do right now. Um, Let's talk about the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really green policy um, in the U.S. It's, uh, I mean, I I don't know if there's sort of a compare and contrast, but 
we're interested in where Canada goes ultimately in what we're talking about right now. So let's compare and contrast yeah. how, how that policy looks versus what we've got in place or will have in place. Look, we look in the world, Europe is pretty progressive and in, in doing certain things like this that are very green friendly. Canada was actually pretty decently, I would say, leading the US. Mm -hmm. And then when President Biden come in, they leapfrogged us. The IRA, what's great about it, is very clear across multiple you know, companies, multiple commodities. These are the rules, these are the tax breaks, go do it, right? Let, let, let capital markets take care of it. Whereas here in Canada now, we seem to be behind because we're almost piecemeal. Like as in like, if a company comes from an EV plant, okay, I gotta talk to the federal government, provincial government, we gotta do a side deal. Like we don't know exactly what the rules are. One of the biggest ones, you and I have been talking about this, it's still not done, it's carbon sequestration yeah. in the oil sands, right? Mm -hmm. It's called Pathways. The CEOs have been trying to do this for lost track, maybe at least a year, two years almost. And the, the provincial government's on side, the CEOs are on side, and they're waiting the federal government for sign-off. And, you know, it's one of these things where if you look in the, in the U.S., there are already rules set out in place at a federal level saying these are the rules. And we're, and we're just trying to still do side deals, and, and hopefully that improves because it is tough for our capital markets to run efficiently right. when you're waiting for government approvals. Okay, interesting. Is there anything that is expected to come down in terms of clarifying regulation policy rules? You know what? It's, it, it involves politics. It and involves so politics. when, okay. when politics so. feel more confident to make decisions on certain things like this, yeah. you'll see these things move faster. Sure. But uh, the carbon sequestration, again, for this audience, is a big deal because, you know, Absolutely. if you want to green the economy, well, you know, taking that carbon injecting in the ground would be a big benefit to not only uh, Alberta, but all of Canada. Yeah, fascinating how, how all of this works. So um, beyond that, when you look across at some of the other uh, have, we, have we gone through all the buckets? Is there anything else to talk about on sort of the metals and minings and, you know, even what automakers are doing, different trends that are getting in there, the innovation story within this area? Yeah, I think... Has I think, it taken off at this point? Well, it's funny. Is AI going to revolutionize <laughs> the mines? I, I, would, I would say, though, on, on just EV in general or in terms yeah. of, like, the ramp up, we're seeing probably a pullback. Because there is a bit of a pullback. There, and, and there's a bigger thing is just customers are saying, like, I don't want that product. And so that's the other thing is, like, you can do all this incentives, you can do all this kind of like government push to it, but if the person doesn't want to buy the product, or sadly, you know, certain products and, you know, were, were trucks that didn't work, and so people are literally handing the keys back, like this electric truck doesn't work anymore, like that's not good, it doesn't hold its charge. So I think that's where you're getting a lot of hiccups where these companies tried to move probably too fast, mm -hmm. and it's actually more on that level, but it's, it's a backup for everything else. Now, Okay. I do think, though, the, the longer term, if we're at wanting to electrify the grid, you're still going to need a lot of copper. But in the very short term, you're, you're seeing hiccups, and I'm not surprised by that. So, so what is the timing, then, for investing in some of these companies? Like, Do you wait on that, or is it something that's interesting now? Look, I think in, when the commodity itself, copper, is generally pr decently tight already. And that's, that's the thing. Okay. Like, it's decently tight without okay. some big EV push. Mm -hmm. I think when you start investing in EV companies directly, that's a totally different thing yeah. where you're betting on next year's earnings. That right. would be uh, a little bit more uncertain. Do we look at uranium? I mean, parts of Europe certainly are very interested. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up. Again, you and I have been talking about uranium for yeah. a while, and it used to be like, you know, it's, it, it make, if you just do the math, you and I would say this, it makes sense to do, you know, uranium, right? Yeah. And if we're gonna, you know, you know, in terms of CO2, bringing it down, the uranium solution, but no one wanted it in their backyard. Right. The politics of it, actually most green parties didn't even back it. A lot has changed, and actually, Sadly, because of Russia-Ukraine conflict, that right. it changed the narrative. 
right? And geopolitically- Because of what's available. Exactly. Right, okay. Geopolitically, you have most major countries now backing uranium, okay? And even green kind of like advocates are backing it as a solution, realizing that if we're gonna do this, we need everything. And that includes like obviously wind, solar, but probably also uranium. So the, you know, Cameco's, you know, one of our obviously biggest companies in the world doing this, yeah. they've come out publicly and said, you know, this is some of the strongest market they've ever seen. And the actual uranium price is going higher and they're signing contracts that are longer and higher in price. They were already long, weren't they? Yeah, they were already very long, but now they're higher in price and longer. And, that, and again, back to geopolitics, all connected. Some of the biggest supply of uranium comes from places like Russia and Kazakhstan. So especially if you're like a U.S. or Canada or even European utility, this is what I think people don't understand. When you're a, a nuclear power plant, you have very long needs. The actual uranium cost is very, very little to run that nuclear power plant. So like it's key, but it, it's small. Key, yeah. yeah. So you paying X price or Y price to you doesn't mean a whole lot. It's like I just want it. And Locked more importantly, mm-hmm. I don't want to actually have to worry about there's some conflict. I don't get it. Or even my government says you can't use it from Russia, for instance. So. Definitely um, a Canadian solution here is very, very well received. Very interesting. So let's let's go into, uh, because we've been talking about sort of the IRA and and what people can expect from a change in politics south of the border. We don't really want to get into this too much. <laughs> it's mostly a case of whether something will shift massively and investors need to know about it. That, yes. that, that's really the question. Look, I think uh, the IRA is probably one of the biggest ones with the U.S. that would affect maybe stuff here in Canada right. because it's like such a big push for, for greening the economy in the U.S. It, let, let's just say it looks like, obviously, if President Biden stays, probably it's that doesn't same. change. Yeah. If a certain Republican group comes in, yeah. look, we've seen the Republicans just very recently, and they a lot of times what happens is they'll saber rattle, like, again, you and I talk about this, yeah. NAFTA. Oh, sure. well, well, we're going to rip up NAFTA. Well, you ripped up NAFTA and the, and the old and new NAFTA look very similar. So similar. Yeah. would we be surprised there's probably some saber rattling? I would not be shocked at all with an election cycle. Sure. But the actual execution, I think, will be minimal versus what they're going to be saying. Okay, so that's that's sort of what investors need to know. Tell us about tech. So tech is an interesting um, area in Canada. The Magnificent Seven in the U.S. Yeah. takes up an awful lot of... Um, headline space, uh, for lack of a better word. But the opportunities here for Canadian investors in Canada into tech. What, tell us the story there. There's some consolidation we've mm-hmm. read about probably. Yeah. What else do you see? Look, we don't have maybe as big as high growth companies. Yeah. We definitely have some very high growth companies that have done extremely well. Um, but one of the biggest things we have is we have great compounders. And, and so, you know, one of the bigger companies in Canada is Constellation Software. And what's, it's probably a, it's a microcosm of what a lot of the software companies are seeing. They're doing more M&A deals and they're probably finding better returns. And you're seeing it in the public documents that like what's happening there is that their biggest competition is private equity and right. private equity, um, you know, especially with rates moving up, they they've actually pulled back. Yeah. yeah. And they pulled back and haven't been bidding. And one of the biggest things what drives an IRR, it's actually a quiz question sometimes from private equity students coming in, mm-hmm. is what's the biggest driver of IRR of a deal? It's how many bidders are at the table. And so that, that's usually <laughs> really? the biggest. If you ever bid for a house, you'll understand that, right? Yeah, kind of thing. Really yeah, totally. They're just less. Yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, Constellation, others like that are seeing it. And being, of course, then it's a great time to, to, to deploy capital. And in the software space in general, it's a, it's a very acquisitive area. So interesting. And you, you consider that or you expect that to go well? on for the next little while. Private equity in general, I find is that very interesting is that we had, we saw, and again, actually I met with 
probably the, the biggest private equity companies recently, but there's a few of them here in Canada and yeah. we actually in the US. And they're all saying the same thing is that you saw for a few years, decent you know input into the private equity space and then it just took off. Much like right. a few years back, hedge funds took off. All these asset classes, they kind of like had their big run. Um, private credit is something you're hearing a lot about. Yes. That That's really been taking off. But the problem is with this usually happens, they put too much, especially pensions yep. or endowments, they put too much in and then their asset mix gets a little too skewed. And in particular, we're seeing from big buyers, the feedback is they have too much private equity. And so they're saying, and again, private equity businesses, you do a fund and then you do another fund. Well, with the endowments and the pensions are coming back going, we'll give you more money for the next fund. You need to sell the old fund first right. kind of thing. So there's an exit strategy. Needed. So yeah. their, their buying is not there, but you probably will see more selling of private equity deals sure. the next few years. In particular, next 12 years, sorry, next 24 months, because rates have maybe held in a little better. There's a lot of volatility. It's tough to do deals. So there might be some things to nab up. For yeah, various companies. which would be great for a lot of our industrial companies. A lot of our tech companies are very inquisitive, and you're already seeing that in terms of some of our companies. And I think talking to CEOs, they think the potential for more M&A is actually accelerating. Really interesting. Interesting sort of way of looking at the field. Okay, lots of questions coming in. Many of them, in fact, you've answered sort of as, as you've gone along here. Here's one, though. Um, do you think a dividend stock is a good place to be for the year to come? Look, I think dividends have a great place in any kind of marketplace. I own dividend stocks, and I'm sure lots of this audience own dividend stocks. But I would look at it as more like total return. Yeah. I think that's very important. Is that yeah. first level, yes, what's a dividend? But then we have to do second and third level thinking and even further down. So what I mean by that, I have great companies that have a 1% dividend, and I would own them over a 5% dividend. Is Why? In, because are they just doing the dividend one percent, but also are they doing buybacks of say three to five percent? So they have more money to deploy if needed. Yeah. yeah, I really look for actually the free cash flow yield. Okay. So how much cash after operations and capex? How much free cash flow do we have for shareholders? Divide by the market cap. That's usually a better return kind of viewpoint than just your dividend, because also too that free cash flow dividends, buybacks, or even acquisitions. Okay, fabulous. Okay, a couple of other ones in here. So. So this goes back directly to sort of the, the Canadian political sphere and regulations and so on. So how much is the carbon tax impacting inflation? I mean, you can take that any way you like it, but um, yeah, there you go. It, it's, <laughs> you're going to hand Joe. me that one. It, it, as of right now, actually, the, the, the end inflation data you see aggregate for Canada, it's not a major deal right now. Okay. But again, as the carbon tax gets obviously rolled out and as time goes, it could be more meaningful, but right now it is not. No. Okay, right now it's not. Um, outlook on the lumber industry, back to commodities, soft commodities. Yeah, lumber did really well, especially during uh, the shutdown for COVID. Yeah. It was just supply and demand. Um, it's definitely come off. Remember how much shingles cost there for a bit? <laughs> There's like one shingle. Was People want to upgrade their ports because they're smokes. home and then they're like, whoa, the lumber alone, I'm not going to do this. So um, uh, the lumber outlook looks better, the supply and demand. We're actually seeing a, a number of shutdowns, in particular in Canada, which means supply is being curtailed, which is good. Um, but the biggest driver is U.S. housing. And ironically, U.S. housing um, has been subdued because rates are so big um, that that's held it back. But also, too, activity is low because no one wants to sell their house 
because they're on a 30-year mortgage in the U.S. Now, yeah, very different. as time passes and especially younger people come in, they want a house. They don't always want to live with their parents. And so right. there's just a there's usually a, a general push. It's good for push. the parents, too. <laughs> <laughs> it may be yeah. delayed yeah. because of affordability, but generally they want to own a home. And that's yeah. usually the biggest driver of why new homes get built. And so we're still seeing that. We're still seeing population growth, which is very positive. So the lumber, yeah, around $300 historically actually is a decent number, but if the supply and demand looks the way it is with new houses coming in, in the U.S., it should get tighter. Um, we've got a couple of minutes left. I want to just come back to actually the psychology of money and, yeah. and some of the thoughts that you had there. There's one more interest rate uh, question, which we'll hit in a sec, but but just kind of remind, actually, let's do the interest yeah. rate first. So the question is, essentially, what what's the outlook uh, for the Bank of Canada making interest rate decisions sort of at the end of this year and into 2025? Like, do the cuts come later? Yeah, so there's a number of cuts planned, number of cuts for the U.S. and Canada. I think, you know, again, I would just highlight to the group, I think the timing of them, one thing I I warned them is that Bank of Canada may be slower than you think because they were so worried and got so behind in the past, they may be slower to cut. But I think the more importantly, the market will look through it as in like the timing of it's going to be six months or nine months or is it going to be, you know, 50 or 100 or when it actually happens, I think is less the issue. You'll actually see the stock market and especially... The, even the fixed income market price in those if CPI keeps coming the way it is. So okay. I wouldn't stress too much about the timing, but it looks like it's going lower. Yes. Okay. Finish us up here with a couple of those points. Again, reminding investors why they, if they're on the sidelines in any way, mm-hmm. they might want to get in. Look, I think the late great Charlie Munger uh, yes. said it best, you know, is, is the power of compounding. We can debate all this stuff about these like rates and, you know, where inflation is going to go. But the power of compounding is probably one of the most powerful things. In particular, he would say, you know, it's a sit on your butt strategy. Use a different word than butt, but we will yeah. not say that. I'm glad here. that you didn't say the other word. Thank you for that. Yeah, we're going to we'll make sure we don't get edited for the podcast. That's right. And so, but the key point is, I would say that, you know, is pick your horse and get in the race, okay. right? And be it a great compounding stock, be it a great, you know, uh, actually investor, be it like a Marshmallow or Darren, Connor, Chris or Hugo, pick your horse and get in the race. Because again, so much of this is like people worrying about the today's headlines and you can miss on some big opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, Charlie Munger. Great to have a conversation with you. We covered everything, I think. Joe Overdevest, Portfolio Manager of Fidelity. Thank you for joining us and uh, happy 2024. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.